Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. Today, we have a very special episode. No, not like on growing pains when Mike has to decide whether to do cocaine or not. And no one under 40 is going to understand that reference. So let me pause here and just wave hello to all my perimenopausal sisters. Ain't aging grand. Anyway, the reason this is a special episode is because it's my own coming out story. I'm already out as queer, but there have been some exciting developments in my sex life over the last few months, and I want to share them with you. Throughout the run of this show, I've referred to my partner and the fact that we're monogamish, meaning that we are primarily monogamous, but occasionally invite others to join us in threesomes or other fun adventures that we do together. While we've been through ups and downs, especially during COVID, recently our relationship has been getting better and better. But a few months ago, we had a conversation that changed everything. Recently, I was texting with my friend Danielle, host of the Marriage and Martinis podcast, which I know a bunch of you listen to, about our current situation. And she immediately said, you have to come on our show and talk about it. So Danielle and I had a terrific conversation, and they aired this episode on October 31, 2022. And Danielle graciously gave me permission to share that episode with you here on Good Girls Talk About Sex. So buckle your safety belts and get ready. This one's going to be a doozy. Please enjoy this episode of Marriage and Martinis, which features my own coming out story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. It's Danielle. Thanks for being with us today. And today is a special day because a lot of times when I do interviews, um, there's a level of awkwardness and discomfort because you don't know the person that well. Um, and so today we have Leah Carey on, who um, is a friend of mine. and. Uh, 
I'm just so happy to talk to her because um, we don't we don't get to talk to each other that much. So it's going to be like a conversation with lots of ears listening. Um, but Leah Carey is a sex and intimacy coach. She's the host of the podcast Good Girls Talk About Sex. She's been featured in Cosmopolitan Magazine, Bustle, the Savage Lovecast podcast. And most importantly, she is a recurring guest on Marriage of Martinis because we love her so much. And I just wanted to see, there's one review that I read on uh, her website that I just want to read real fast to give a sense of who Leah is. Um, It comes from a client, I would imagine. And it says, Leah has given me permission to explore a side of myself I've never explored and is both holding my hands and helping me find my own way. Thank you, Leah. You're changing my life by helping me overcome lifelong demons and embrace play, pleasure, and a strong sense of self-worth which I thought was spectacular. Hi, Leah. Hi, Danielle. I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) Me too. And it's um, eight o'clock a.m. your your time, which is how I know you love me. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Yes, because I don't know that I would commit to an 8 a.m. interview. I have to be honest. (laughs) But um, yeah, I was thinking about, so you've, I guess this is maybe your fourth time or something coming on. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was thinking about, you're probably, we were one of my first podcast friends mm. back in the day. Yeah. Right. Uh, we met in a female podcasters group. Yes. And it just, for whatever reason, just clicked right away. Totally. And yeah. um, we've met IRL one time. Mm-hmm. at a podcast convention and that was awesome yeah um but we are on other we are on different sides of the country which makes it tough <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and also i was thinking you were also one of the first people i told when mia uh came out mm-hmm. i think we were you know we happened to be chatting about um you know, gender and sexuality and stuff. And I think you were one of the first people I told. I felt comfortable with you um, enough. And you have, there was one thing you said to me one time when I had to cancel uh, a recording or postpone it, which I so often have to do. And (laughs) and I still use this with other people to this day. You said to me, you know, because a lot of times when you cancel, people are like pissed and, you know, it's uncomfortable and it's frustrating and you said to me, thank you for letting me know what you need. Hmm. And I, I, first of all, when you said that, nobody had ever said anything like that to me before. And I was blown away by it because it was so selfish and selfless and compassionate. But also I was like, I'm, I'm going to use that. I like that. I don't ever want people to feel bad about, you know, life being hectic and busy. And I want them to know that I, I get it. So, um, Okay, so we haven't spoken in a while. I mean, mm-hmm. we text back and forth sometimes and stuff. But for some listeners, first of all, it's been a while since you've been on the show. And for some listeners who don't know who you are, or it's just been so long that maybe they don't remember, do you want to give like a quick overview of how you became Leah Carey's sex and intimacy coach and self-confident <laughs> sexual warrior and all of those <laughs> All of those roles you take on. Should I start calling myself a sexual warrior? Oh, I yeah. kind of like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, I'd be happy to. I will give you the the boldest of the headlines. Um, 
So I grew up in a home that was very, very confused about sexuality. There was a lot of mixed messages about how women were supposed to be these, you know, beautiful creatures. There was a lot of sexual material around our home. But at the same time, my dad was telling me that I was fat and ugly, that no one would love me um, if I didn't look a particular way. And he, there was a lot of um, sexual conversation in the home that was wildly inappropriate, first of all, to have with your daughter, but also to have with your like eight-year-old daughter. So the result of that was that I became incredibly sexually repressed because that felt like the safest thing um, to just not deal with any of that energy at all. Um, and so that basically, that's the first 43 years of my life. I had a few relationships um, with people who were varying levels of emotionally abusive, because that's all I knew. And that's all I thought I could get because my dad told me that no one would love me. Um, and I was obsessed with the idea of what great sex would feel like. But the sex I was having was always boring and often painful and just a really not good experience. And so I, I just, you know, that confusion I felt as a kid continued well into my adulthood. And then at 43 years old, um, my father had passed away. He passed away back in 2000, so a long time ago. Um, in 2015, my mom also passed away. She and I were very close and it was, it was really devastating to lose her. But at the same time, she was my sort of last tie to that old version of myself. You know, the version of me that I thought was supposed to show up in the world as the quote unquote good girl. Like that's, that is the name that I've given to that part of my life where I felt like I was supposed to fulfill everybody's expectations. I was supposed, well, I still feel like I'm supposed to fulfill everybody's expectations, but you know, that I had to show up as a certain version of myself. And that included not showing up as a sexual person, not allowing myself to pursue the interests that I had sexually um, to just sort of fade into the background in any and all situations. And so um, in 2017, at age 43, I went on um, what I... What I planned to be up to a year long road trip in my little four door sedan around the United States. Um, my expectation for the trip was that I would find the next place I wanted to live. The reality of the trip was that it ended up being this incredible journey of sexual healing and sexual awakening. And, um, I had all of these experiences that I never could have imagined. And 
that resulted in me starting this podcast where I talk to women about their sex lives and eventually also coaching because people started coming to me with all these questions. And I was like, hey, I just took a class on that. I happen to know something about consent, you know, things like that. Um, And that has all just sort of very organically and naturally led me to where I am today, sitting here talking to you. My favorite part about all of that is that you were 43 when you did this, mm-hmm. because I think it's never that, too late, <laughs> it's never too late. Right. And I, I think that there is this idea that our, <clears throat> I think it's changing a little bit, but you know, our sexual peak is in our twenties, right. When, you know, when we're fit and energetic and youthful and uh, I, I just feel like it can happen at any time. And not only that, it's actually really common for women to have their sort of sexual, uh, whatever you want to call it, awakening, rebirth, whatever, in their early 40s. Um, And it probably has something to do with hormones. It probably has something to do with empty nest. You know, there are lots of different things that factor into it. But I am not by a long shot the only woman who this has happened for. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of you listening out there, it is never too late. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. And you you told you completely took back your identity and and made it your own, which is so incredible. And did you feel when you did that like your dad no longer had this power over you that he had had all those years? That's a really interesting and complicated question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that his voice still runs in my head all the time. It it couldn't be otherwise. He was the loudest voice until his death when I was 26. Um, He was very much the loudest voice in my life. He, he is the one who told me all of the things I believed about myself. Um, And I then carried those messages on myself. Even after his death, I'm the one who continued perpetuating those messages in my own head. So when I started doing this, yes, there absolutely has been a separation from parts of that voice. And yes, I feel much stronger and more confident in myself. And like, I don't rely on his voice to tell me who I am. And it's never going to completely go away. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, am I 50% better? Maybe. Am I 60% better? Maybe. Am I 100% better? Probably never will be. I think so many of us feel like that. As as much as I I had a different experience in my own household, I think in high school, which I think I even probably talked about in your podcast a little bit when I came on, um, I think I... I went to a school where it was very small. Everyone was sort of, you know, quote unquote, back in the 90s, hooking up with each other and everything. And there was this expectation, you know, of what you were supposed to um, give a guy and what you were supposed to do for a guy. And I think that that stayed with me for a long time because I remember thinking to myself um, that, you know, when I went on dates, even when I was living in New York City, I I felt this obligation of, 
quote unquote, putting out, right? Yes. You know, at the end of the night, especially if I had been taken for a nice dinner or, and I think that that, that does a lot to how we see ourselves as, as deserving for pleasure, because Mm -hmm. I think for a long time, I didn't think of it as a give and take. Yes. You know, I, I thought of it as a, okay, well, you know, if you want to get the guy or you want to, you know, be popular, this is what, what you do. And, and I think it's taken me a long time to feel, you know, not, not feel that sense of obligation. And again, the good girl, right. I was doing those things. And then I was feeling the shame after because I knew I wasn't doing it for myself. I knew I was doing it for them. And there's a really gross like layer of of um of self you know a, lo- a lack of self-worth when you when you do that so yeah, yeah. it's very transactional yeah so i think the way that so many of us were brought up to think about dating and relationships and sex is that it's transactional you get dinner and you put out and then they want you more and then eventually that turns into you, you know, get into a committed relationship, they take care of you, you put out, mm-hmm. you know, like that. And much of that quote unquote putting out is very performative because if your goal in having sex with somebody is to just, you know, make sure their needs are taken care of, then you're going to perform whatever role you think you're supposed to perform in order to give them that sense of being taken care of, as opposed to going into sex together, where you're both getting your needs taken care of, you're both experiencing pleasure. I think so many of those who of us who are brought up as little girls have this transactional experience of sex, because that's all we've ever been told we're allowed to have. Mm-hmm. Totally. So you um, have been in a, a pretty long committed relationship with your Four partner. Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yeah. Uh, and you're not married, but you is you cohabitate. Yes, we do. <laughs> I like don't even know what's the word you say. You're living together. Yeah. We're pandemic. shacking up. We're living in sin. <laughs> but recently you have, I mean, you've always been very open about your sexuality, that you identify as queer um, and bisexual, I believe. And you've always been very open about that. And you're so inclusive and you're very into um, trying to break gender norms and be inclusive. And, and I've always respected you so much for that. But you were in a, 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 pre- a monogamous relationship for the past four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead. So um, my partner and I, and just to let the audience in behind the curtain a little bit, I'm going to try to not use his name (laughs) to give him a level of privacy and I might mess up. And so Danielle's going to help me remember to say my partner instead of his name. And I am going to work very hard to do (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my partner and I met at a, what I would call a sexy event. Um, It was a birthday party for one of my friends. And we were playing sexy games. So, you know, like, 
there are times when all the all the girls had their shirts off and so he saw my boobs like the first night and um kissing games and uh, touch games and so that first night that we met kind of set the tone for the fact that this was maybe not going to be a completely traditional relationship and with that said it was really important for us to have a period of time where we were completely monogamous um, so that we could have that bonding and that that, st- that foundation of trust between us. Um, I think that I always had the expectation that there would be a little bit of opening um, and we were just getting to the point and by what by a little bit of opening, what I mean is like, we would go to parties together. We would, you know, I don't really like sex clubs. It's just not really my space, but it's maybe something that people can relate to the idea of that we would maybe go to a club and we would play with other people together. Or if they're like, if he saw a woman he was into and I saw a woman or a man that I was into, we could play in the same room as long as we could see each other so that neither of us was making up stories in our head about what the other was doing off somewhere else. But all of that was very much about us being together. All of those things were going to happen as a couple. We were just getting to the point of being ready to start that kind of exploration when the pandemic hit. And so, like, we got another two and a half years of really intense together time, which (laughs) ultimately was good for us, but we didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Right. And so during that time, are you guys sort of having conversations about well, when the pandemic is quote unquote over, mm-hmm. this is something we are going to pursue? Yeah. And it was, um, you know, sometimes it was set in like the sort of fantasy dirty talk kind of like, oh, you know, when we can find somebody else and bring them in, here's the things we're going to do. And sometimes it was very practical, like, oh, have you met anybody who you think you'd like? You know, met anybody cute lately? <laughs> um, but Via it was Zoom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it was always, um, it it was still very much with that intent of togetherness. Mm-hmm. You know that that any ex, uh, any explorations we had, any adventures we had, would be together. And when did that start to change? So there's um, this business retreat for people in the human sexuality field that happens each summer. Um, Paused for the pandemic. But this summer, 2022, in June, it was going to happen again. And I'm was really excited. I was going to get to see my friends, you know, like I I love this camp. And so I was preparing to go. And I mean, you put whatever, 50, 60 sex professionals in the same space and there's going to be stuff that goes on. (laughs) So like I went knowing that there was going to be a lot of hooking up and there was going to be a lot of sex and there was going to be all these things and spaces for that. And, you know, um, and all of this happens within the realm of people who 
know how to talk about consent. So it's all really, you know, I don't want it to sound so much more exciting than the podcasting convention. <laughs> we went. To. I'm not going to lie. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, so before, as I was getting ready to go, I said to my partner, what boundaries do you need me to hold while I'm at this, you know, five day retreat so that you feel safe, so that you don't have to be sitting home wondering what I'm doing. And in the past, that boundary had been like, it's okay for you to cuddle with, (laughs) and there were some very, you know, there were some even some restrictions around cuddling. It's okay for you to cuddle with women. It's okay for you to cuddle with gay men, but please don't cuddle with heterosexual men because I don't know what they're going to be thinking about, you know, whatever. And so this time I said, what, what boundaries do you want me to hold? And he looked at me and he said, I just want you to have fun. Like you haven't been with your people for so long. I just want you to have fun. I was like, cool. Thanks. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, "Um, I think I'm pretty much okay with anything but PIV, which is uh, penis and vagina intercourse. And I was like, whoa, hold up. This is new. (laughs) Like that was not the answer I was expecting at all. I want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, Or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability, and I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous. 
but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. And so I started poking, you know, <laughs> asking all of these questions, trying to figure out where the where the actual line was that he wasn't saying, but he thought he was saying. I, so like, you're okay with me being naked with somebody else? Yes. You're okay with some, you know, if you say no PIV, what about tongues? Like, what about oral sex? Yep, I'm okay with that. What if I give oral sex to somebody else? Yep, I'm okay with that. What about fingering? Yep, I'm okay. And like everything I asked, he was very consistently okay with. And when we had that conversation, in my head, I'm thinking something has changed. And I don't quite know what it is yet. But when I get home, we are talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) And around the same time, he also had a vasectomy which changed some other um, dynamics in our relationship because I can't use any kind of hormonal or internal birth control. So when I'm with a man, I rely entirely on him to use condoms. So when he had a vasectomy, that changes that dynamic as well. So at that point, it became clear that it was time for us to have some some conversation around our um, relationship agreements and our boundaries and all of that to understand where we really are now and to make new agreements based on where we are now versus where we were four and a half years ago when we got together. Um, and in those conversations, it became really clear really fast that both of us were at a point where we were ready to open the relationship to other sexual partners. Um, and because I happen to be, you know, a person in this field who has coached a lot of other people through this process, I know a lot of the conversations to have. So like, well, how do we want this to look? We decided that we we are romantically monogamous. Neither of us is looking for another romantic partner. We are socially monogamous, meaning that we present as a couple to the world. We're not going to be out, you know, with different people in, you know, if he has a work party, I'm the one he's going to take, you know, that kind of thing. But that there is space for us to be sexually non-monogamous and um, that our relationship is in a stable enough place that we both feel safe doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really key. Our relationship has not always been super stable, especially in the midst of the pandemic. We went through some, he was drinking too much. You know, we went through some really difficult time. I know you can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that we were not always stable. If we had done this, two years ago when we thought we were ready, I don't think it would have turned out so well. But now we both feel really safe in our relationship. And we know that we're doing this to to bring an additional layer to the relationship, not to try to fix something that's wrong. Mm, Wow. Yes. 
Wow. That is so well said. Just like to, to, to bring another layer, to make it a little bit more, I don't want to say exciting, but dynamic. Yes, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. So when you left to go on this retreat, mm-hmm. he had said these things to you. Was there part of you that was worried that you were going to come back? Like I always think about um, a decent proposal, uh-huh. right? Where she goes and she sleeps with the guy and then it like, you know, she comes back and, you yeah. know, it like has ruined their relationship pretty much, even though he agreed to it. Was there a part of you that's like when you're away, like, am I going to come home and he's going to find out I did these things or I don't even know if you did or not, but um, and not feel the way he said he was going to feel terrified. <laughs> yes, absolutely terrified. Um, and for the record, I did not do anything while I was at camp. Um, I, I, did proposition one gentleman to make out (laughs) and he was interested, but it never happened. Um, But that gave me the opportunity to come home and say to my partner, this opportunity, like this conversation happened. We didn't actually follow through on it, but how does that feel to hear that? So that I could at least get that, you know, that step of him going from theoretical to less theoretical to more in the realm of reality. And he continued to be fine, um, which was, I honestly was a huge surprise to me. Was um, there ever feel like there was a sense of relief coming from him that you hadn't done anything or no? No, I really think that he was just okay. And, and I, he continues to surprise me in the best possible way mm-hmm. through this process. So obviously for so many of us who are in monogamous relationships and haven't gone to camp or on a sexual yeah. exploration or all of these <laughs> things that I would in another lifetime really love to do. Um, we have, I think these, preconceptions, these notions about what an open relationship is and how problematic and difficult it can be for so many reasons, especially with, you know, you guys were obviously already open sexually in uh, so many other ways. And so many of us haven't really had that opportunity. Um, What misconceptions about open relationships can you clear up for us? Mm. So um, first and foremost, I think the the biggest assumption is that people do this because their relationship is in trouble and that it is going to end in disaster. So please hear me. If your relationship is in trouble, this is not the way to fix it. <laughs> this is only going to add layers upon layers of confusion, especially if a, if the issues in your relationship around communication, having this kind of relationship requires endless communication. That's something that he and I, I mean, I'm going to say that this has actually made our relationship that between the two of us, it has made us stronger, healthier, and we're in a even better relationship now because we're communicating so much about what we're doing with other people about what our boundaries are, you know, constant renegotiations. So like we started 
all of this was very theoretical for a while. You know, we were probably talking just endless conversations for like two months before we did anything with anybody else. And so that level of communication is required. And that level of communication is unlikely to exist if what you're trying to do is fix your relationship, fix some inherent problem. The other assumption is that this is going to break a relationship. It's going to end up in a divorce. It's going to end up in, you know, some crisis catastrophe. Is that going to happen for people who don't have a solid communicative relationship to begin with? Quite possibly. But if you're going into it with a level of trust and communication, this, the reason that this is working for us is because we trust each other enough to believe that we can have these conversations. We know that, that we love each other so much that we want the other person to be really fulfilled. So like here, okay, here's a great example. There are certain kinds of sex he's never going to get to have with my body because my body is not built for them. I am never going to be somebody who wants to receive a hard pounding. <laughs> like, that's just not how my body works. But does he sometimes want to experience a hard pounding? Of course he does. I'm thrilled that he gets to experience that. And it doesn't have to be my body that bears the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled that he's getting to have a kind of sex with somebody else that I am just not ever going to give him. And it's not because I don't love him. It's because I'm not built that way. And in fact, him getting it from somebody else is a sign of how much I love him. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. You know, there are kind of interests of mine my partner is really great at making me feel loved. He is really not comfortable with things like dirty talk. He's really not comfortable with that sort of more like, I just really want you, you know, like that sense of taking what he wants. And that is something that I enjoy, that I fantasize about, that gets me hot and worked up. And so now I get to have that. And it doesn't require him to go so totally outside his comfort zone that he ends up traumatized. Mm -hmm. Now, there so, is, oh, I'm sorry. No, I no. Say, you know, because we, we've had the discussion, you and I, with Adam here about dirty talk and how I like it and he doesn't. And all these, most couples have, you know, they're not sexually compatible in every. Of course. Yeah, in every facet. So there is also something to be said about look, you don't have to have an open relationship to try to satisfy some of these needs for your partner. I mean, obviously, you know, you're you're at a level that most of us, many of us will never be at, uh, you know, that 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 confident um, in in our relationship in that aspect that we could allow our partner to, you know, go and do something like that and then come back and we'd be fine. We'd be fine with it. But I think on a larger scale, what we can learn about this is 
whatever that is, you know, if you're trying to figure out dirty talk or if you're trying to figure out a sexual experience that that one of you wants to have. For me, what I my takeaway about what you and your partner have done with this is how all of those conversations that you had to get did had to have to get to this point. So many of us aren't having it all about anything. Yeah. So I think that a lot of times the, I think the takeaway for an open relationship from the couples that I've spoken to who participate is that there's just this openness in general that so many of us need to have more of. And, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be, okay, vanilla sex or openness. It doesn't have to be. There are so many parts of the spectrum in between that we can, we can explore, but it's that part of it. It's the communication that is the most important part, whether you're, you know, for the first time trying doggy style or for the first (laughs) time, you know, going to a sex party with your partner and, Mm -hmm. and exploring those, like there is a whole spectrum in there, but I think the consistent thread through all of it is we need to be having these fucking conversations. Yes. And when we first met, like I now call myself a sex and intimacy coach, but when we first met, I was calling myself a sexual communication coach because and nobody knew what that meant. So that's why I changed it. But but really that's what I do is I help people talk about sex because my be- so many people think that sex is like 90% the physical act and 10% communication. I would argue that sex is 90% the communication and 10% the physical act. Because without all of that understanding of each other and your needs and your wants and your desires, you get into the bedroom and you're wondering, am I satisfying them? Am I doing this right? Why don't they do this thing that I want? You like we're constantly trying to read each other's minds. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to not only not get what we want, but also spend a ton of brain energy trying to figure out what the other person wants that we can't then spend on experiencing our own pleasure. Right. Well, it is amazing because in one of our episodes, you know, there's the famous line that Adam said and, and, you know, he was being so honest and he was being (laughs) Adam, which is what I think makes him so, such a wonderful podcaster and, you know, such a, a great person for couples to listen to is he was being completely honest. And he, at one point said his famous line, when I'm done, I'm done, yeah. which became a, a huge deal because, <laughs> you know, nobody else would actually say that except Adam. <laughs> and, and of course, at the time I was mortified and I was um, angry, right? Because it was really, uh, a, a, it was something we had been experiencing as a couple but had we not spoken to you he never would have been able to say that Mm. he never would have said when i'm done i'm done we just sort of that was always sort of the way it was he finished and if i wasn't finished it was done Um, and i would either you know go into another room and take care of it or but but that him saying that i swear to god it, it it unlocked a whole chain of events that completely changed our sex life hmm. because even though in that moment he didn't realize what he was 
saying and, and the issues with it, um, he he eventually, you know, he he started to it, yeah. that conversation, right? What when we're recording an episode, whatever the conversation is, obviously we're a private couple also. So that's going to reverberate into our mm. regular life. But, you know, we're lucky enough that we have these conversations with you bec- because we have the platform to do it. So many couples don't. And that's where a sex and intimacy coach, I think, my God, I mean, I, I, when he said that uh, again, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I was like, you're not taking that out of the episode because <laughs> I do think that what is so fantastic about Adam is that I think there are so many women whose husbands probably felt the same or vice versa. Or, yeah. and, and I think that we're never in a forum where we can say these things and get them out into the open and be like, yeah, I know when you're done, you're done. I've been living it for the past, you know, 15 yes. years. Uh, but thank God you finally said it. Mm-hmm. And now it's out there and you can realize how problematic that actually is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, the communication and the conversations. And once he said it, yes, there were, you know, fights after and there were arguments and it took a bit of understanding on both of our parts what you know again he's on the other side of that performative um you know we're talking about putting out in high school mm-hmm. well he was very much on the receiving end of that all through mm-hmm. high school, right i mean he was not the same person in high school that he is today and and the guy i knew in high school was one of those guys who you know so so again a lot of it is societal and what we've been taught as girls and in turn, what males have been taught. Yeah. And so, you know, I think because of the sex education in our country and the lacking um, and, and, and what we're taught as males and as females, so much of this never evolves and never gets discussed in our relationships that we get stuck. Yes. Yes. And like, very, very basic stuff doesn't get spoken about. Like, what does monogamy mean to you? Like, literally, that's the most basic question of any committed monogamous relationship. And nobody talks about it because everybody assumes that the meaning of monogamy is obvious. You know, whatever I think it is, is what everybody thinks it is. When in fact, that is not true. Some people think that watching porn is a violation of monogamy. Some people think that masturbating is a violation of monogamy. Other people think that kissing while monog- kissing somebody else while monogamous is totally fine. Like there is such a wide range of what people mean by that one word and it never gets talked about so that people then violate what their partner thinks monogamy, what that monogamous commitment is. And they didn't know that it was a violation when they did it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you never talked about it. Cause they never talked about monogamy it. is just. Uh, you know, it, a man and a woman and or, a, you know, yeah, yeah, there's and there's you're right. It's such a loose term mm-hmm. and it's so multi-layered in so many sense. That's such a good point. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, to Adam's credit, he is now a completely different lover than he mm-hmm. was four years ago. And wow. at, as am I, I mean, I think also on my end, there were certainly, you know, things that I 
wasn't realizing and, and that I didn't know he didn't like. And, um, and I think once we had that conversation and sort of, you know, broke the seal in a sense, <laughs> the floodgates yeah. kind of opened a little bit. And, yeah. and at times um, it would be kind of life-changing, mm. you know, and, and our, our, sex life now for many reasons, I think has evolved and become something so beautiful and so wonderful um, for, you know, a, a whole bunch of different reasons. But, but just the fact that, that we got these things out in the open was just, it's, it's life-changing. And I never would have thought that would have gotten here. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do think that, you know, in some ways we had a good sex life for always, but it was obvious. It was very one dimensional and it was lacking in a lot of ways on both of our parts. Mm -hmm. And so that community, I mean, really it was that communication, you know what I mean? It wasn't a book we bought. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it was the opportunity to clear the air, the mm -hmm. opportunity to have a conversation that, that, changes the dynamics of what is happening in your relationship and it takes time and it takes patience mm -hmm. but i'm my god i think thank god we did it yeah i get so many messages from listeners saying thank you for the show i've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life are you one of those people if so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex-positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, 
Let's get back to the show. You know, I have a couple that I worked with for a while um, where they came in and they couldn't stop sniping at each other. Like they both really wanted, they were both really committed to having a more fulfilling sex life, but they couldn't stop sniping at each other because there was so much that was unsaid. There was just so many expectations and beliefs about requirements of the other person that had never been spoken out loud. And so they couldn't see each other. They couldn't hear each other through all of those expectations. And so our process was laying all of those things, all of those unsaid things out onto the table so that they could actually see them and hear them and deal with them. And then... (laughs) It just blew my mind. In one of our later sessions, they say to me, well, we just went to the sex store and got a flogger, but we're not really sure what to do with it. And so we had a session where she's bent over the couch and he's flogging her and I'm giving them tips on flogging. That's amazing. You know, like you can't get there if you can't see each other and hear each other. Mm-hmm. But once you can see each other and hear each other, you can have actual conversations about what you actually want. And that's the gateway to actually starting to get them. Right. As long as my partner and I were stuck in drinking in in the drinking cycle that he was in, there's no way that we could have seen each other or heard each other because our brains were completely taken up by all of this other drama. But now we get to a point where we've put a lot of stuff on the table because we had to if our relationship was going to survive. And on the other end of that, we can see each other and hear each other well enough that we're like, yeah, you have some things that you want to do. And I want you to have that experience. Mm. And I think it's also important to recognize that it's not always an equal tit for tat thing. Like there may be people for whom the relationship, like you just, you want something new. You want something different in the relationship. And um, I'm going to swap the traditional gender roles here. So I'm going to say it's in a heterosexual relationship. The woman wants to be having more sex and the guy is like, you know what? I'm having enough sex. Like I, I don't need our sex life. Mm-hmm. We've be, been there. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. To be more. Um, and she says, this is really what I need in order to feel satisfied. It does not need to mean that they both take lovers. It could mean that she takes a lover and he's like, you know what? You don't like traveling with me. So I'm going to find a buddy and we're going to spend a month traveling each year. You know, like it doesn't have to always be you do exactly the same thing. It can be just the act of allowing each other to meet those unmet needs in new, different, innovative ways. For people who want to do this stuff, but are worried about the backlash from their community and society, because I I know where you live is a more progressive, open kind of place. Mm -hmm. 
as opposed to where we live, which is certainly not. <laughs> um, how much of this do you need to share? I mean, how important is it that you're telling people and revealing this to people, um, you know, and feeling like you're you're dirty because you're holding these secrets and not in a good way, like, you know, in, yeah. a, in a shameful way. I mean, how much of it do you really need to ever tell anybody? Um. Yeah, it's entirely up to your level of comfort. You don't need to tell anybody if you don't want to. Nobody is, um, uh, what's the word? Um, nobody is entitled to this information. You know, you don't walk around town telling people that you like being spanked probably like, I you know, like, podcast. right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, you don't walk around town generally giving people a ton of information about your sex life, unless they're your closest friends, unless there's a reason like a podcast to do that. And let me tell you, I am, there is a certain my all of my closest friends know that this is going on. But there's also this level of like the rest of, you know, the other thousand people on Facebook don't know. I'm going to post this interview on Facebook so that I don't have to be the one to tell them. They totally. could just listen. Yes. <laughs> and like this is my coming out well, to that's the broader why public. Did the coming out episode with us. Mm -hmm. That's why she she said, "Mom, I really want to not only just to help people, but she's like, I hate telling people I yes. hate out. And so sometimes, you know, that is like the best way to to do it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So um so back to your question about how much do you have to tell? You don't have to tell anybody if you don't want to. If you are a person who is um who does want to tell people Again, you get to tell the people who you're comfortable with, with the understanding that not everybody is good at keeping confidences. So if you tell somebody, it is possible that it will go out to a wider audience. But if you are, if you're somebody who needs to talk about it, but also doesn't want to have it be public information, then, uh, you know, if you have a best friend who you can talk to, great who's supportive please please if you're going to talk about this talk about it with people who you trust to be supportive mm -hmm. you do not need somebody giving you a bunch of you know judgmental bs that's going to confuse you mm -hmm. um so if you have a best friend great if you have a you know church or synagogue leader you trust oh well actually let me take that part off the table mm -hmm. i would usually say that but in this case that might be a bit of a dicey conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there are there are leaders, there are people, mentors, whatever, who you can talk to. And if none of that is available to you, then you can, you know, hire a therapist, hire a coach. Um, and again, please make sure that they are somebody who is openly accepting of ethical non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's sort of the umbrella term yeah. for what we're doing is ethical non-monogamy as opposed to cheating, which is non-ethical non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. um, there are options for talking about this that don't require you to be out to your community if that's what you need. And if you want to be out to your community, great, 
you it is important for you to be aware that not everybody's going to love your decision. Yeah. I think that's another important conversation too on its own is if we are going to do these things, it doesn't have to be open marriage, you know, trying things in the bedroom or whatever. That's another good conversation. Who are you comfortable with knowing? Yeah. Are you comfortable with your partner going out on a guy's night and telling his friends, you know, or the opposite, a girl's night, you know, telling their friend. Like, I think that those are all even conversations. Like, if we're going to do this, how, you know, how comfortable are we with talking about it? That's a big trust thing, too. And another thing that I think we don't really talk about very much. That's such a good point. Yeah. That there are some people who are like, oh yeah, like I know that you're going to talk to your girlfriend, like my partner, he knows I'm going to talk to my girlfriends about everything. Yes. (laughs) And, and to be fair, just so everybody knows, I also have talked to him about doing this interview. He knows I'm doing this. He knows the things I'm sharing. Anytime that I share something really specific about our sex life, I run it by him first Mm -hmm. because he is entitled to his privacy. But there are going to be people who are like, I absolutely am not comfortable with your girlfriends knowing, but they don't actually say it. Mm -hmm. And then they get angry when it happens. So yes, those are conversations that would be really helpful to have if you're not having them yet. Right. Okay, so I just for an update, we want to know where you're at with all of this, because I know it's pretty new with the open relationship. So I you were possibly going to have an experience last weekend. I don't want to ask too much, (laughs) 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 but you are definitely taking on these new experiences. Yes. So we have definitely moved from theoretical conversation into actual experiences. That's part of the reason I wanted to do this conversation with you right now, because we're right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've said maybe we'll do another one in six months to see what we've learned, because I'm sure we would yeah. have learned a lot. Uh, definitely. That, um, so he has identified a play partner. I have identified a play partner. from. So he has a woman who he's seeing. I have a man who I'm seeing. Um, and it was, it worked out really well. We were each going to have just sort of like a, you know, a dinner date with our other person to make sure that they were interested and that, you know, we could sort of make this work. And I had told the guy in advance that this is what we were doing. And this is why I wanted to see him. He had not told the woman in advance. So she came in not knowing he was going to propose this, but I knew she was going to say yes. I I know her. I like her. So uh-huh. that definitely eases the way. Um, but, so we both, we ended up being able to schedule those like getting to know you dates for the same night. So neither of us was sitting home alone waiting oh, for the other one to come good. home. Which and was then did you come perfect. home like telling each other about it? Yes. We literally did. We literally were like, and it was so funny because we essentially had the same date. Like we sat down, we had dinner, we had conversation, we kissed a little bit, we got up, we took a walk, we held hands, we made out on the streets some more. Like we literally had the same date with different people on different sides of town. Um, But those first dates went beautifully. And both of those people were like, totally on board to become our play partners. Again, everybody is super clear that these are not, um, these are not budding romances. These are play partners. Mm -hmm. Um, 
everybody is on this. And in fact, the man that I'm seeing is has been up front and been like, I have absolutely no room in my life and my brain for anything else. I'm like, that's cool. I don't have room in my brain for more than one romantic relationship. Like that's, that's more than I can handle. Yeah. So everybody's on the same page for that. We've each seen our play partners uh, once or twice since then for like actual sexy dates. Mm-hmm. Um, the level of sharing about those intimate details is, you know, we're still sort of feeling out well, how much do I actually want to know? <laughs> um, I am still having to build my trust about how much I think he is able to hear, which has entirely to do with my brain and not what he's actually able to hear. Like I have to build my trust in him. Um, meanwhile, I love hearing about details. Like it turns me on. I, I was going to say that to hear. a whole other level of foreplay. Totally. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that our sex life between the two of us has completely changed since we started this. Even since we just started conversation about it, it is so much hotter. Between uh-huh. the two of us, it's more frequent. It's more exciting. We're both feeling more fulfilled in our sex relationship between the two of us. I love that. Well, I'm very happy for you. Thanks. Me I too. Really <laughs> I, I, I love hearing about it. And it's, you know, it, it's inspirational, not even in the sense of like, okay, now we, wow, we're going to go have an open relationship, but in the sense of like, okay, maybe I do want to introduce that new thing. So even though we all have different levels of comfort and everything, it is inspiring to hear true stories about it happening in a healthy and uh, successful way. And so thank you for sharing this. It's really, I think it's helpful on so many levels. Yeah. And I think I just want to make one final point, which is that even in a healthy, I hope healthy, like, again, we're still near the beginning of this, even in a healthy, so far successful situation, it's not all rainbows and ponies. Like, even just last night, he and I had a really fairly tense conversation about some boundaries um, that we're still trying to figure out. So like, it, this is not, I don't want anybody to hear this and be like, oh, this is easy. We can do this. It's right. not. In fact, if you're doing it well, it should be hard. You should be asking questions that there are not easy answers for. Um, another reason why it's really good to help to have somebody else who's sort of walking through the process with you um, to help navigate and facilitate those conversations. Yeah. And not just for sex. I mean, I think if we're all going to have the real conversations and, and, you know, open the box and, you know, reveal all the things that we need to expect that it, there is not going to be rainbows and unicorns at all, especially in the beginning, but it, it gets easier. Yes, It, it does. And, and just the willingness, you know, I know for me, the willingness that, that Adam has to have these conversations um, alone makes me trust him and respect him and adore him so much more. Yes. You know, just that that willingness, even if it's hard, even if we disagree, even if it's, it's tense, just, you know, I I say to myself sometimes, uh, he wants 
to communicate. He wants mm-hmm. to do the work. And that's huge in and of itself. It's so, crucial. Yeah. yeah. It so is the binning. Tell everybody place. where they can find you. And um, and I can't wait to hear more of your story in <laughs> Yes. So um, my podcast is Good Girls Talk About Sex, um, where I interview people who were brought up as little girls, plus transgender women, about their sex lives. You can hear Danielle's interview on my podcast as well. Um, I'll make sure to get you the, the link. One of so like you the can... prehistoric episodes. <laughs> it really is from a long time day. ago. We yeah. should do a brush up. We should. I would love that. (laughs) Um, So that's the podcast. Please come listen. And then if you're interested in coaching, you can find me at leahcarry.com. Thank you. And as calming and as wonderful and as open as you've been on this conversation and on this podcast, I am sure you are exactly like that in as a coach. And I think that that is just unbelievable. And people Without sounding like a sales pitch, because it's not, <laughs> you can confirm that you have not paid me any money. I have not. Um, but it really, I mean, I think as far as, you know, having someone you can really be open with and trust, my God, there's there's no one better. So thank you thank for you. doing what you do. And I love you, Leah Carey. I love you so much, Danielle. I know, you. And I would like to to talk for three more hours, but I have a yes. son who is homesick who literally just knocked on the door and said, Mom, yeah, need you. So <laughs> no, thank you so much, Leah. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Yes, please. All right. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As a sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Full show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. And you can follow me at goodgirlstalk on the socials for more sex positive content. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. While listening to this show is free, producing it is not. If my work is meaningful to you and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I'll gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Good girls talk about sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Laura O'Connor. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.